Welcome to RenewCast, the podcast of Renew Education. I'm Noah Brink, and in today's episode, we're going to talk about the Incarnation. It's the middle of December as we record this episode, so it's fitting for us to take some time and talk about the Incarnation, and specifically in light of a Christian worldview and a few of the implications to Christian education. But before we jump in, I do want to mention a handful of things. It really does matter to us for you to subscribe to us, to follow us on social media, to visit our YouTube channel. We have various lengths of videos there on our channel. Subscribe to us at whatever platform you find our episodes, uh, our podcast episodes, to visit our website, to read our blog posts and comment there. Like I said, we're going to be talking about the Incarnation today and... A couple months ago, I did write a blog post on our website about Christmas decorations and Halloween decorations and what those things tell us about the human condition. And in that uh, post, I confess that I love Christmas. I, I know a lot of Christians do. I know a lot of people in general do. Um, but loving Christmas as I do, I, I thought it was important for us to actually take some time and, and talk about Christmas, talk about the Incarnation and do so through the framework of a Christian worldview and, and a few applications to Christian education, because at Renew Ed, that's fundamentally what we're about. Christian education, a renewal of an emphasis on the gospel and thinking through Christian education through a gospel lens, but also for that to be the foundation of a Christian worldview. One of my favorite things when we talk about Christmas is the, the, the songs that we sing at Christmas. Um, I love Christmas carols, and, and specifically the Christmas carols. I do like the more secular Christmas songs, but I don't find nearly as much joy in them. Uh, my children gave me a bit of a hard time when we started listening to some Christmas songs before uh, we got to uh, even Thanksgiving. And I said, but we're going to only listen to the Jesus uh, Christmas songs. Um, I think it's always fitting for us to to. Th- think in terms of a framework that's very much influenced by those songs of Christmas because they're applicable year-round. Years ago, I was a track coach, and uh, we had a very large track team, and one of the uh, athletes on our track team uh, lost his father during the season, and we all went to his funeral as a team and, and sat together. And one of the songs that they, they chose to uh, sing at this funeral was chosen by the father. Um, he was able to pick some of the songs that he wanted sung at his funeral. One of those songs was God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. Um, the funeral was in the late spring. And here we are in a very formal church singing God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. And it was very warm outside in the Northern Hemisphere. Some people would say, why would you be singing God Rest You Merry Gentlemen at a funeral? Well, think about the lyrics. God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. For Jesus Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power while we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. God rest ye merry, gentlemen. It's God give you rest. God give you hope. God give you the ability to find joy. Why? Because Christ has come. 
O tidings of comfort and joy. Should we not sing that song year-round? Should we not sing joy to the world? The Lord is come year-round. These are worldview songs. They're not just Christmas songs. That they are part of the tapestry of what it looks like to engage the world from a Christian worldview, that we think of all things in light of the reality that Christ has come. Even when we think about our dating system, you know, our dating system as we now know it, we're recording this episode in the year 2023, but we call this the year 2023 based on a monk's decision to reorder all of history around what he understood to be the birth of Christ. Now, historians believe that he was a handful of years off, but it was in the 6th century that our current dating system was set with this understanding that all of history should be defined around the birth of Jesus. And so that's why the A.D. is not after death. It's actually a Latin phrase for saying that this is in the year of our Lord. And prior to that, generally speaking, dating systems were built around the reign of a king. So actually, one of the most amazing things is that when we say that this is year 2023, even there is a worldview statement. Because what we're saying is, it is the year of our Lord. 2023, the year of our Lord. It's His. That's a worldview statement that we're thinking about today, this week, this month, this year, in light of the reality that Jesus has come. That is a very profound worldview statement. Because as I've said numerous times, even in this podcast, in the blog post that we have, that having a Christian worldview isn't simply believing a few ideas here and there. It's looking at all reality in light of those ideas. That's what it means to actually have a Christian worldview. So when we think about the incarnation, when we think about even the dating system today, that is a worldview statement because what you're saying is, I'm thinking about today in light of the reality that Jesus has come. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. O tidings of comfort and joy, God rest ye merry, gentlemen. God give you joy. May he give you tidings of comfort and joy because Christ has come while we were gone astray. That's worldview. It's not just believing things. It's looking at today in light of those things. That's why I, one of the reasons why I love Christmas because these songs are so loaded with worldview statements. We're thinking about today in light of something that happened thousands of years ago. That's worldview. But even as I think through some of those songs, think about O Holy Night. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. What a fabulous statement in a Christmas carol, talking about slavery. The slave is my brother. Why? Because Jesus came for all sorts of people. That's worldview once again. 
You take this reality that Jesus came for all sorts of people. Therefore, what does that then mean? The slave is my brother. And I should fight against oppression wherever I see it. Wherever I see it. You think about that in the ways we engage life, the way we talk about other people, even our enemies, people that we radically disagree with. Oh, holy night reminds us that person is my brother or my sister. Oppression has to cease. Christians should be people that run towards peace. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Christians should be people that run towards peace because we understand that Jesus has come. And the Christmas carols remind us of that. Another thing that we see there in the incarnation, and Luke does a wonderful job of helping us to understand this. When you read Luke and you invest a lot of time into looking into Luke's specific gospel. Now, we know a few things about Luke. Luke was a physician. He spent a lot of time... um, exploring and investigating what happened during Jesus' earthly ministry. He interviewed all sorts of people as a scientist would. He got to spend time with the Apostle Paul and go on some of his missionary journeys with him. But one of the things that people who know far more about Scripture than I do, when they talk about Luke's areas of emphasis, one of the things that he was very curious about is Jesus' interest in the disenfranchised, the outsiders, the quote-unquote invalids, which, by the way, even that word is a, that's a word that Christians need to think deeply about. The Bible at times uses that word, and it's become a word for people that, you know, have different ailments. But even there, to say that someone is invalid is a difficult thing for a Christian to say, because you're essentially arguing that because of what this person's ailments are that he lacks or she lacks value. But Luke was certainly interested in those sorts of people, and he pays special attention to Jesus's interest in those sorts of people. So when he tells us the Christmas story, he focuses on all sorts of people that, generally speaking, the world was not paying attention to that the angels came and they foretold Jesus' coming to a bunch of shepherds. In Jesus' day, shepherds were near the bottom of the cultural sociological triangle pyramid. They had very little value. They had less value than a very, very poor Mary and Joseph. It's amazing, and Luke found it amazing, so amazing that he wanted to make sure that he included it in his story. But that Jesus' coming, the celebratory statement from the angels, was proclaimed to shepherds in the field by night. Isaiah tells us that in the midst of darkness, a great light has come. I see that very clearly as Luke recounts, that here are shepherds out in the field by night and angels came and valued them enough that God, for some reason, wanted to proclaim the coming of the Savior of the world to the people at the bottom of the pyramid. 
And Mary understood her own condition. Mary was a nobody from nowhere. Mary was not wealthy. She's a young girl. She's from one of the outside towns. She's forgotten. And in her Magnificat, part of the reason that she's humbled is because she she gets who she is. It makes no sense that she would be someone that is part of this story. And, and, And we know these things that are true throughout Scripture, that Matthew makes sure that we understand that people like Rahab, a prostitute, a pagan prostitute, is included in the lineage of Jesus. Women get included in this story. Luke wants us to make sure that we see this. And I think the reason he wanted to make sure that we see this is because he understood that the coming of Jesus, and he, in his investigation, he recognized that Jesus was very interested in women and children and the poor and the sinners, the outsiders. Because religion tends to focus on the insiders. These are the people that have their act together. Jesus was interested on the, in the outsiders. That's one of the reasons why he says, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the sinners. I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And of course he's not saying there is somebody who's truly righteous. And he's talking about health in terms of like spiritual but he's basically playing with his audience a little bit because he says, there's nobody righteous. That's, that's why I came. I came for people who need me. And he goes to Zacchaeus' house. This short little man who the, the Jews of the day, they despised him. Jesus says, I'm going to your house. And Luke wants to make sure that we see it. And John tells us about Jesus spending time with a Samaritan woman. And you start to see these stories. They start fitting together that Jesus has interest in the outsiders. It then begins to sink in that part of a very big part of a Christian worldview is a concern for people. It's a concern for all people. There are no insiders and outsiders. There are image bearers. And these image bearers have profound value. As Francis Schaeffer tells us, there are no little people. Those shepherds out in the field by night, profound value. Now, C.S. Lewis tells us, you've never talked to a mere mortal. Never once. You've never talked to a mere mortal. I've routinely overlooked people. As a teacher, there are students that I don't, I have not thought of them with profound, immense, eternal value. But they have that intrinsically. It cannot be taken away because they are created in God's image. And Jesus cares so deeply for people that he was willing to take it on himself. One of my favorite poems by G.K. Chesterton is called Gloria in Profundis. Glory to God in the highest, we say. It's, it's, It's part of what the angels say. I love where Chesterton in this poem says, Glory to God in the lowest. That he came and was born in a stable, in a cave. Which even there, I love this framework imagery that we have two times where Jesus in the Bible takes a first breath. As an infant, he took a first 
breath in a cave. And then, when he is risen from the dead, he takes a first breath in a cave. I think that's beautiful. But in a cave, there's no room in the inn. Luke wants us to make sure we see that. Because the outsiders matter. And even you start getting these interesting stories of pagans coming from far away. They matter. Luke wants to make sure that they're included in the story. And then you start to read the Gospels and you see that Jesus, not only is concerned for these people, he has a concern for the world in which we live. Not only are there no little people, there's no meaningless second. Jesus used rocks and birds and grains and seeds and all sorts of things in his parables because he wants us to understand that this world that we live in, it matters. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. What a reason for us to take time to pause and fall on your knees, oh, hear the angel voices. For Christ has come. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. When we think about education even, I, I can't help focusing some on this, this incarnation piece. The incarnation even, I think, supports why we believe that all people have the value where they therefore should be um, educated. Their mind matters, not just their soul. If you look throughout the history of education, throughout much of the world, men, free men, landowners, those are the people that received education and often religious education. Uh, at the incarnation, things start turning upside down. Jesus comes so that women can be celebrated, children can be celebrated, shepherds can be celebrated. In the West, here in America, we talk about education as though it's a right, but specifically for more humanistic reasons that just humans, they matter, and therefore it's, it's, it's a political right, it's a social right. It's a theological right, but not something I can claim because of how great I am. It's something I claim because of how, God, how great God is, and I'm created in his image. And not only is it is a right, it's a duty. Because Jesus actually cared enough about the physical, not just the soul. He didn't, the incarnation was not just this spiritual sort of phantom of sorts that walked the streets, that floated around. No. He came and took on flesh, and a lot of the pains of taking on flesh. Philippians tells us that he took on the form of a servant. It was a hard life. Things didn't come easy. And Jesus learned how to do many things. Jesus learned how to, he probably learned the trade. Many, many folks talk about Jesus as a carpenter. He would have learned the trade of his father, his earthly father. That learning is an important thing because the mind is an important thing. That that is part of the incarnation. Jesus didn't just have a human heart and a human body. He had a human mind. The mind matters. Jesus was fully God and fully man. The incarnation. It doesn't make sense, by the way. 
And even there, things not making sense. What This is one of those areas where Christian educators should run toward things that don't make sense, not run away from them. We run toward them because those areas where we see places that don't make sense, where we can only talk about it through the lens of a miracle, that forces us as God's people to recognize that God is higher than us. It would be a tragedy for God's people to think we have it all figured out. So Christian teachers, what a great opportunity to run toward areas of mystery. You know, people love talking about going to Disney World, the magic of Disney. We crave magic. We crave mystery. And even with Christmas, the Hallmark Channel loves talking about the magic of Christmas. They do it because they know that there's something inside us as humans where we crave mystery, we crave magic, we crave something that gets us outside of ourselves to long for the other. And as God's people, it's good for us to be forced to come to grips with paradoxes, with mystery, with those things that are clearly higher than ourselves. Because in those spaces, in those areas of mystery, in those areas of wonder, we can target our kids, our students, towards the goodness of God and to say it's good for you to have mystery. It's good for you to have wonder. It's good for you to have longing. It's beautiful. Those are beautiful things for children to grow up with. It's part of what we need most as humans. We need those areas of mystery and wonder. And I think Christmas does a fabulous job of nurturing that. We need the miracles. We need the magic. We need to recognize the importance of all people, not just those that have it all figured out, but all people. All the more reason why in our schools to figure out places where we can celebrate the unique giftings, the value, the dignity, the merit of these image bearers that come into our schools. What gives them value isn't just their capacity to do well on math or science or language arts. That's not the only thing that gives them value or their capacity to get into a good college. What gives them value is the fact that they are created in the image of the infinite personal triune God, like those shepherds out in the field by night. Shepherds. They have so much value that they're the ones that God decides that he wants to send this host of heaven. Their lives were forever changed by that. These shepherds. And as teachers, Christian school teachers, to think of our students as they also get to hear the proclamation of the good news. And for us, the adults in the room, those that are working with children, to be able to say what joy it is to be the ambassadors of good news and of hope in a weary world, a weary world rejoices. I think that's one of the reasons why many of these, these Christmas songs, they talk about the longings, the, the pains, the sufferings, because that's why Christ came. And a part of Christian education is to bring about good news for a weary world. John Milton, 
says that the end of education is to repair the ruins of the fall. That part of what we're doing in Christian education is to bring light into the darkness, to bring about hope, to bring about repair. And so in our schooling, that always needs to be knit into the way we structure our lessons, our classroom management. How do we be a part of light in the darkness so that the weary world can rejoice? All students because of the many different things that they have, are going to suffer weariness. Are the weary students in a Christian school more prone to rejoice than the weary students in a secular school? They should. Because the Christian teacher should be providing them real hope and tangible hope because Jesus has come. O tidings of comfort and joy. I want to read, actually, part of one of my favorite hymns. It is so laden with some of the things I've been talking about that as long as I'm talking about the incarnation and thinking about it in terms of worldview and even school, is this let all mortal flesh, very, very old hymn, very old carol. But just listen to these words. Let all mortal flesh keep silence and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth, our full homage to demand. King of kings, yet born of Mary, as of old on earth he stood, Lord of lords and human vesture, in the body and the blood, he will give to all the faithful his own self, for heavenly food. Rank on rank, the host of heaven spreads its vanguard on the way as the light of light descendeth from the realms of endless day that the powers of hell may vanish as the darkness clears away. I read that last stanza and I can't help thinking about Tolkien where Sam Gamgee is talking to Frodo and says that all sad things are going to come untrue as the darkness clears away. Rank on rank the host of heaven spread its vanguard on the way as the light of light descendeth. The light of light chose to actually come to earth as a man so that we can say that this life has value, that we have value, we have so much value that Christ chose to become one of us and to die for us. That the powers of hell may vanish. O tidings of comfort and joy. May it always be that those of us who who play in the, the arena of Christian worldview are so minded by the incarnation, that our days and our months, our years are shaped because Christ reigns today, that we're shaped by the good news of the incarnation, and that the incarnation, the sweat and blood, the rocks and the stones, the pains, the hopes of all the years 
are parts of the things that we can embrace as Jesus' people, as parts of his body, because we know that he came into this world to proclaim the value of them. That is good news. Good news for those who are in the weariest of worlds. And what a great task and calling and joy it is for us who work with children to be able to proclaim the good news of the gospel that we first see in the Old Testament, but we then see the magic and the mystery and the wonder at the incarnation that the light of light descendeth from the realm of endless day. Thanks for listening to RenewCast. You can subscribe to our show at Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you find your podcast episodes. Visit our website at www.renew-education.org to learn more or follow us on our YouTube channel.